Um, let's just jump right in. We're in a series right now in the, the Gospel of John. We're going to do two parts, uh, one now and then one in uh, starting probably in January to finish it up leading up to Easter. And John, uh, the book of John, we're, we're calling this series uh, so that you may believe, by the way. I'll tell you why in just a moment. But in John, he, he only talks about the ministry years of Jesus. There's three, basically three years that he talks about. And he starts off with this big bang of a theological idea about Jesus being the word of God and the light of the world. And then he, he tells these, these vignettes, these little stories about Jesus and the people around him. And in between those, he punctuates them with theological information, these little treaties of, of, uh, of theological uh, knowledge that we need to have. And we'll unfold those as we go through this. But uh, we're going to go right up into the story of Lazarus. And when you get to the story of Lazarus, which I think is chapter 12, is where Jesus starts to head towards the cross. And so we'll, we'll follow him there uh, in, in probably January, February. But we'll get right up to that when he raises Lazarus from the dead, one of the stories. Uh, but I want to just, I mentioned this last week, but just want to recap it with you from John 20, uh, 30 through 31. So later in the book, uh, John the apostle, the the disciple of Jesus, writes this. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, in other words, to prove that he was the Son of God, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these stories, these things, these narratives I've written are there so that you may believe that Jesus is three things. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that's just, I just, the more I've been reflecting on that, what a cool purpose for John's ministry, for this book that he wrote that we have, that we would be, that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God. And that we would then, not only knowing that, have relationship with him, and then have a life to the full. The life would be full because of that. I think that it, it's, that's something to me, I think, wow, that, I would love to be a part of that. You know, as a believer, I'd love to be a part of something so significant. And really, the only, the end thing, that's the most important thing, of Jesus is the Son of God. And so I think there's a lot in identifying with who John is and what his story is for us. And last week, uh, we talked about, this is all in chapter 1, but we talked about uh, two of his first followers. John the Baptist points to Jesus, and he says, that's the Son of God. You guys better go check it out. And so Andrew and a friend go and, and follow Jesus, and then Peter comes along after his name Simon, and Jesus t- turn, changes his name to Peter. And So uh, these are the first followers of Jesus. What we're going to do today is we're going to drop back. We're going to go a little earlier in chapter 1 and talk about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is not John the disciple who wrote the book, so we just want to make that clear. I think you maybe have that in your head, but uh, John the Baptist was a guy who was prominent in the story of Jesus. He was the guy who would be the, I, I guess you call him a herald, uh, which I don't know if we have heralds today, but herald, you know, we come in and announce something. It was an official position that John the Baptist had been given. He was to herald the arrival of Jesus, to point out this man as the son of God. So he, in, in uh, John the Baptist, and I'm sorry if while I'm talking, I get him mixed up, but uh, John the Baptist, you all are sm- you're smarter than me, so you'll know when I'm doing that. You'll be like, oh yeah, he just did that. So much smarter than that guy. Um, and that'll give you some confidence. Um, but uh, so, so uh, John the Baptist is this herald who comes in and, 
And he's been talked about in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scripture. He's been uh, the idea and the seeds of of this uh, this man who would come and would come before Jesus and show who he is and call him out. And John knows that's who he is, John the Baptist. In fact, he uh, he calls himself the voice making straight the way of the Lord, which is something that was spoken of earlier in the Scripture, a voice in the wilderness making straight the way of the Lord. And that's what he's doing. Now, John the Baptist was a really big personality, just by way of introduction. And some of you are familiar with this guy. He was obviously a gifted communicator. So he he lives in the wilderness. He's way out there. People come out to hear him speak. And what he does when he speaks to them, or what happens in their lives, is that they come to a point where they want to change. He moves them to repent. You'll you'll read this time and time again about John the Baptist. When people hear him speak, they want to repent and be baptized. So he, he gets them to to change deep inside their heart. A deep movement comes about in the people's lives when they hear him. And, you know, we've heard speakers like that, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I want to, yeah, I get that. I really understand. And, and then he moves them to get baptized. And baptism with John the Baptist was a little bit different than it is for, for ba- when we talk about baptism in the church today. So for him and for those people, when they got baptized, it was a kind of a, a ceremonial washing in the river where they would say, yeah, I'm, I'm cleaned, I've repented of where I was, I was rebellious towards God, and now I'm moving towards God in a new way. I've repented and turned. Baptism for us is something that Jesus commands us to do. He says, be baptized. Identify with me in death, almost like uh, being uh, put into death, like into a tomb, and then lifted out. There's a, a cleaning idea. There's a monument idea that it's a time in our life where publicly we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. So there's a, there's a difference to it for us in baptism, but it still had that sort of uh, a pillar in your life point, and you would change. There was this moment that, that baptism signified. And so this is this kind of uh, transition that John is is creating for people, John the Baptist. And at some point in John's life, God speaks to him and says, John, you are the one who is going to point out my son. You are the voice of uh, the voice in the wilderness that's going to point to the Messiah. Now, I'm thinking that might have been kind of a heavy burden. Can, if you think about it a little bit, uh, the, the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah for generations. And God speaks to John, and John the Baptist says, you are the one who's going to point out the Messiah. Now, I, then you look at every person differently, probably. You know, is that, is that the one? How am I gonna, you, know? you don't want to miss it if that's you, and you want to miss and, and kind of mess up your job. Well, uh, in this case, God also said to him, you will know because... My spirit will descend on him. And when you see that happen, you will know that that is the Messiah. And and some of you may be familiar with that story. When Jesus comes to John, he says, baptize me. And John says, there's no way I can't baptize you because I I think who you are is the son of God. And Jesus says, no, baptize me. And he he does. And then uh, the spirit of God descends on Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. He describes it like a dove, something like that. We don't we can't picture that exactly, but it, was confi- it, was a, it gave confidence to John the Baptist that this is the Son of God. And from that point on, he's definitely pointing to Jesus as that person, as the Messiah. So that gives you kind of a, a little introduction to who, to who John was. Uh, 
for us today, I, I, I think that this message, that the thing that, that we would get out of this, that, that John wants us to hear, is probably something for people who are following Jesus, who have crossed that line of faith. I think this is something for those of us who are in that place. So if you haven't, then this is a time for you to kind of observe and, and, and listen and think about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, because I think one of the questions we have as Christians or people who are trying to follow Jesus is, uh, how am I supposed to contribute to what's going on? How am I supposed to be a part of what God is doing. You know, John the Baptist had a very clear uh, job responsibility. You are the one who's going to point out the Messiah. Uh, I have moments of sort of, I I guess I call it a a more spiritual consciousness or just where I kind of come out of all the materialism and all the things I'm distracted by and I go, I think to myself, oh yeah, I, I feel like there is something more that God is calling me to, to be engaged with in him. I don't know if you ever feel that. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night when there's, it's dark and I can't see and I can't think about, I'm not thinking about all the other things going on in life. And so I think God has called me to engage with people for him. He's called me to be a part of, of what he is doing. If you're a Christian, he has called you into a role. It may not be like John the Baptist exactly, but I think what, you know what I mean? Those moments where you go, oh gosh, I've been so distracted by what I was going to buy next or where my career or my relationships or what's happening that I forgot what I was all about. John the Baptist, his whole point, his whole reason for existence was to point people to Jesus so that they would believe. And I think that parallels real nicely with John, the disciple who wrote this book, because his whole point in writing the book was to show us Jesus so that we might believe. Very parallel. I think for for us, uh, for me, as I look at this, uh, if we're studying John, or both of these Johns, but John the Baptist in particular, where is that point where you as a Christian are introducing or showing people pointing to Jesus. That's part of who we are as Christians. He has given us that responsibility. We enjoy that. And it's, it's some, sometimes it's a challenge. We don't know what steps to take. We don't know how to do that. And I think there's a lot we can learn from John the Baptist, even though most of us don't have any of the things that he had and weren't a part of what he was about. But I think as we look at his story, you'll be able to identify with him. And I want to encourage you as, as we unfold this, just be thinking, where do you engage? Where, where is it that makes sense to you uh, to identify with John the Baptist in introducing people to Jesus and pointing people towards Jesus and saying, yeah, that is the Messiah. This is, this is what I've been trying to tell you. This is what I'm about. So what I'm going to do is I've, I've uh, filtered out this longer passage. I'm going to read you some highlights, and I think that Wendy has it uh, spread out on the, uh, the screen up here. So I'll, if you will, just follow along with me here. This is all, uh, I think, all in John 1. Yeah, uh, starting r- around verse 6 and ending in 34. But uh, so 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light 
that all might believe through him, through Jesus. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. In 119. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the pro- and make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And then 26. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent he who sent me to baptize with water said to him, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So this is the a brief picture of what John the Baptist was doing, directing people towards the Messiah. And I want to show you four points in the passage. These are the ways in which John the Baptist pointed towards Jesus that we'll see, we see right in here. One, he pointed to Jesus from and in obscurity. Also, he pointed to Jesus in his words, in humility and in tragedy. So obscurity in his words, humility and in tragedy. So let's look at the idea of obscurity. So John lived off the grid. John the Baptist was an off-the-grid guy, uh, and some of you, some of us feel uh, a little bit like we are off-the-grid, you know, living in Crested Butte, as rough as it is here. Uh, I mean, he owned that lifestyle, John the Baptist did. He, God called him to be in the wilderness. When I go in the wilderness, when some of us go in the wilderness, it means like a, uh, like a Patagonia Puffy and uh, like a Gore-Tex shell in a jet stove, and some coffee, some designer coffee. And it means, you know, a couple different kinds of fly rods, depending on what kind of water I'm near, and just on and on, right? That's, that's how we do wilderness here. Look how Matthew describes uh, John the Baptist. In, Ma- in Matthew, this is one of the other disciples, he says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. That sounds like some new diet. It probably is happening here in Crested Butte. I don't know who does that. I personally am against eating bugs. I probably, I hope I always will be. Uh, he, was, he was the real deal. Camel's hair, that's rough. That's not merino wool, Okay. He lived, he, was, he lived in the wilderness. God, God called him to live in the wilderness as part of who he was and where he was going. And I think there's something in that for me and for us. Uh, he's, he heard from God directly. Some of us 
may have some very intense confidence about what God's called us to. But y'all, when he has called us, it is best to be in that place. If there is some inkling, some sense of confidence that you have about where God has called you to be, we need to, you need to be there. And for John, it was obscurity. It was the wilderness. And y'all, it's lonely in the wilderness. This is a, he was alone. It was far out, and the people actually went way out to see him. And I think it's important to, uh, to note that it is lonely often to follow Jesus. I think of like our high school kids here. Uh, it is lonely to follow Jesus in CBCS and as a middle school student. It's lonely to follow Jesus. There aren't a lot of people making that decision. So good for you guys for going for that. Um, but it's lonely as adults too. Um, all of you are in working in the neighborhood here and you know that when you, if you were to stand up for Jesus, you would be standing out for Jesus. Always. But what is really cool is I think God is doing something in our community where there is a difference now that it is not quite as lonely as perhaps it was. And I haven't been here very long, not even four years yet, but there is a difference. I, I walked into uh, the coffee shop the other day and saw a couple of friends in there sitting there, a young couple in our church. And I walked up to them and we were talking and they said, we, we were so excited to get back from our trip and get back to Crested Butte to get home, to be with our friends. We have so many Christian friends. And, I, and I, serious, I was like, in my head, I was like, no way. I, I don't know if I've ever really heard somebody say that. You guys have been here for a long time. How often does somebody say, I just could, I'm so excited to be with my Christian friends in Crested Butte? Seriously. So I, I was kind of processing that while y'all were saying that. I was like, this is incredibly cool. There is a difference here now where God is obviously doing something where it is a little less lonely. You know, our guys, uh, John back there just said something that these guys have been getting our men together for dinner with a major part of the reason they're getting us together is so that we will build friendships together. We'll eat together, hang out, have fun, and then get together and do stuff and become deep and close friends because we've got to fight for that. But the thing is, I, I think uh, as, as lonely as it can be to follow Jesus sometimes, we need to dig into those relationships. We need to get close. We need to really try. We are, if you live at this end of the valley, you are an independent person. That's just a fact. It just, you just are. I, you know, if, if I've learned anything, you are independent. You, you can do that. You can live on your own. You don't have to have other people. So we have to decide to engage in those relationships, and it takes time and actually doing something in the evening with people sometimes. Um, I just got to go uh, on this little mountain biking trip with some guys. It was you guys that were there, and I know many of you would have been there too, but, man, it was awesome just to be with friends and just be myself and just talk and eat and have fun together. Um, such a treasure. I, I, I can't tell you. I, I, we've got to go. We've got to engage in those things that, that bring us those relationships. And here's one major reason why. If you read Acts, you just read the beginning of Acts, people that didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know anything about Jesus, became believers because they saw the church living in community. And in our town, people can see the church living in community. And they can see the church when it's jacked up too. 
So, y'all, if we live in community and commit to each other, I'm talking about people that outside this valley who are part of our church and people who live here, then it will have an impact in this town. So if you want to point, do you get what I'm saying? If you want to point to Jesus, you may not be living in the wilderness wearing camel's hair. Some of you may want to do that. I don't know. But if we live in community we'll, and, and really love each other, we'll be pointing to Jesus. We'll be introducing Jesus through that community. And so think of that. Think about that. Uh, wilderness, may, wilderness and loneliness will be a part of following Jesus. But community is also a part of that. And that, those things can point to him. All right, so that's that idea of obscurity. John ministered and lived in obscurity. Uh, but he pointed people to Jesus with his words. Obviously, like I said before, he was really talented at speaking. He was really gifted at that. And some people have that. And y'all, y'all know, it doesn't take much to be talented. You, know, you guys know Rosie. She's from England. Uh, when Rosie says something, like she could say, oh, Scott, the earth is flat in the way she says it. And I'd be like, oh, you're probably right. You know, when people with a beautiful English voice say something, you're like, oh, sure, yeah. Thumbs up, I'm down, I'll do it. I think you're right. You know, all of us, she's probably taken all of us in. We probably believe things that she told us. I don't even know because I believe her. But uh, he used his voice to point towards Jesus. He had that gift, but we don't all have that. In, in fact, most of us don't. Don't. It's a unique thing that, that some have. Uh, this week, Carrie uh, Freeman told me she was reading this book called Contagious Christian, which has been a, a huge book for me in my life. I used to think of talking about Jesus to other people as something that just terrified me. It's like way off the charts. I wanted to do it. I was frustrated. I thought, what's wrong with me because I can't do this? It seems like it's foundational to point to Jesus with my life. I don't know how. But that book was huge for me. It was great. I appreciate you reminding me of it because it... Uh, he says a couple of things in there that are really, uh, really important. Um, two, and I'm going to share just two of them with you. One of them is something he says, it, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be the greatest, you know, this or that. Just barbecue first. Okay? I'm like, oh, okay. Just eat together. If you read Acts Two, you'll see that the early church ate together. And says, and I think in that first few verses, it says they ate together and says it three different times. Eating together is a great way to introduce and point people to Jesus. This, uh, I just told you I was at mountain biking with some guys, and six or seven of us were out there. Now, my idea of going on a camping trip is I bring food that you add water to. Okay? How many of you guys are add water people? Two, three, four, okay, a couple... How many of y'all are like, go all out, bring the bacon, cook it up? Okay, yeah, I know. I was wishing you were there. <laughs> well, so I have my little ice chest with a couple little things in it and a little yogurt and some hummus and stuff. And Doug, Judy, and John O'Neill show up at, at, at dinner after. And I teased uh, Sky Housen was there. Sky said, be there at dinner at 7. The caterers show up at 7. Of course, I'm kidding. I'm going to say I got some oatmeal for you. These guys brought steak, vegetables. Doug brought a tree he'd cut down and chopped into pieces and split it right there at the campsite, made the fire, did everything in a big open skillet. And so, I mean, basically, I just sat there while they made all this food. And I'm like, I have some applesauce. <laughs> that's, that's what I brought. Applesauce. I was going to eat a whole bunch of that, but I shared it. But it was... 
I would have felt really pathetic. <laughs> but it was so cool because it just reminded me of that early church. You guys did, of, of just the hospitality and the sharing. They brought that stuff and just shared. They had enough for everybody. And they cooked it and gave it. And it was beautiful. It wasn't my gift, obviously. All I was thinking about was my little thing. But they had that gift, and, I, and it was a beautiful thing. It was really incredible. They cooked, and we enjoyed that. And for me personally, it, was, it, was a, it, it touched me. It was very, very important to me. So thanks, guys, for doing that. But uh, barbecue first is one of the greatest ways to point people to Jesus. Have people over for dinner and be generous with your food. You don't have to be John the Baptist in camel hair and speaking out in the woods or, or anything else that you might imagine that might look like. And one other thing that he says in that book is he says, be a link in the chain. Most people, in fact, all people come to know Jesus by a series of things happening in their life. It's almost never, I've not heard anything, someone comes up and tells me something, I trust Jesus and that's it. It's always some pieces, even bad pieces, hard things, whatever, that leads somebody to, at one point, they'll cross the line of faith. And there might be someone there to help them do that. And some people do that. They're like the closer. You know, they come in, they're like the car salesperson. They can just do that. But most of us don't have that gift. They call those evangelists. Those are the people that can just help people go, oh yeah, this is obvious. You just do this. And people say, yeah, okay. But that's not who I am. And it's probably not who most of you are. It's okay to be a link in the chain to say, hey, here's who Jesus is. This is what I saw. Here's some food. Let me point you to Jesus. Let me tell you what he did in my life. Let me tell you what I used to be like and how he, he moved in and changed me. Let me tell you what I've been through. And when, when you are a link in the chain, God will deal with those, the, the hearts of the people that you love. Barbecue first and be a link in the chain. You don't have to be John the Baptist. So if you don't have the words to point to Jesus, what do you have? So whatever that might be. So, obscurity, using words, those two things he uses. He points to Jesus with humility. This is a hard thing for us, for especially us independent people. Look at uh, 26. And John answered these people who came. They wanted to know who John was. And John said, I'm, I baptized with, John the Baptist was, I baptized with water, but among you stands one you don't know, one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. That was a, to us, that's not a big deal. You know, we all wear shoes. Our feet aren't really that gross or anything. To them, it was a big thing to say, I'm lower than the person who could untie someone's sandal straps. So that was kind of a shocking thing for him to say. He was elevating Jesus. And there's another place a little bit later in the book of John where, G, where John the Baptist says, um, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. And it's a beautiful place because John's, John the Baptist's followers, he had a whole crew of followers. They were, they were saying to pull him off to the side, and they said, hey, that Jesus guy, a bunch of people are following him, even some people who used to follow you. And, and they're, they're saying, is that okay? And John the Baptist says, yeah, it's, a, it's okay. Because he must increase and I must decrease. So I wonder, I think it's, it would be an incredibly good thing to meditate on, to talk to God about, is what is it in my life, God, that is so encompassing me that it must decrease in order for you to increase. So if we have that attitude of humility about everything that we own, our relationships, all the things that we think are so important, and say, 
in, in John's case, it must have been, uh, you know, he was an eloquent speaker. People followed him. He must have loved having that. But he gave that away to Jesus because he had this policy, this deep down knowledge of humility that said, Jesus got, has got to increase. So how does that happen? God, where can you increase and where can I decrease? What would that look like? So in obscurity, in his words, in humility, he directed people to Jesus. But he also pointed to Jesus in tragedy. And I think this is something that we're going to have to, to wrestle with. And I don't have the answers, but I, I, I want to point, point out to you this troubling part of John's life. Uh, one of the, the most compelling moments in his life is that he, he doubted if Jesus was the Messiah, even after he pointed to him and pointed to him and had the whole baptism scene and all of that. So at one point, uh, it's in the middle of Jesus' ministry, and uh, John the Baptist is a pretty loud and boisterous guy and has a lot of opinions. And one thing he had done is he pointed out that Herod, and this isn't the Herod of Jesus' birth, but uh, there was a Herod, a dynasty of people named Herod, and one of the Herods took his brother's wife and John the Baptist said, you can't do that. That's completely wrong. That's immoral. You can't just take your brother's wife because you're the guy ruling over our province. And so Herod was so upset that he put John the Baptist in prison. And while John the Baptist was in prison, he was miserable and began to doubt. And he sent some of his friends, I don't know how they communicated then, but he, he was able to ask his friends to go and check with Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to confirm, are you the Messiah? I mean, imagine the guy who is the herald of Jesus doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. Because for one thing, that's really hard. That, that's kind of heartbreaking. But you know, there, I bet there isn't one of us who's a believer who hasn't had a moment where we said, I don't know. But this is the beauty of the book of John. He doesn't just say everything's rosy and Jesus is so great and he's resurrected. He says, his herald doubted. It's, it's the beauty of the way the gospels are written that it tells the truth even if it looks bad. So... Uh, Jesus sends the message back and he says, no, I am. You've seen it and you know, don't forget, I am the Messiah. And not long after that, this is a really weird situation. Herod throws a party. His new wife, or whatever she is at this point, has a daughter by her former husband, his brother. And that young lady dances for all the people at the party. And so much so that she pleases Herod and all those people. And Herod says, I'll give you anything you want. And she says, let me check with my mom. So she checks with her mom, and her mom says, I want you to have Herod, my new husband, have John the Baptist's head cut off and brought on a plate. So Herod doesn't want to, it says in the, the word that he didn't want to do it, but to save face, he has John the Baptist's head cut off. Now, that is a, not a great way to go. And for a terrible reason. It's not like he was leading the forces and got killed or doing something out and, you know, they put him to death for his faith. They put him to death on the whim of some crazy thing that happened in a drunken party. That's a terrible way to go. Even in tragedy, John the Baptist was faithful. 
And somehow, you know, I can't even look back and say, oh, this turned out great. You know, a lot of times we say, oh, it'll all turn out good in the end. And we'll know why that happened, why that tragedy happened. Well, the honest truth, you guys, is that it's difficult to look back and see the goodness coming out of this. It was just flat out a tragedy. Following Jesus doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect. It just doesn't. It does mean that the Son of God cares about you. And that's different. That changes everything that might happen. And I think it was prayed a moment ago. Uh, and I appreciate that, that it, regardless of where we are, Jesus absolutely is over us and loves us and takes care of us. But even those who are closest to him and follow him uh, most fully, uh, sometimes things don't go like we expect or like they expected. Well, this morning we're going to close with uh, communion. And uh, the way we do that here is we invite you to come up whenever you're ready. Just line up this way. If you guys who are going to help with that would, wouldn't mind grabbing the things that we need. And if the band, if y'all want to come on up, whoever's going to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to pray. And I just, uh, if at any point one of those pieces of the story of John the Baptist engaged your heart um, then uh, I'm going to ask God to, to really seal that with you right now. God, we are... Uh, Lord, it, it, when I read the story of John the Baptist, I, I get confused because I, I get excited at one point of the fact that, wow, you can use anyone. And you can, you're, it's amazing how you can... Uh, proclaim through uh, just normal, even obscure people successfully that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And I thank you for that. But then I also see the other side and the tragedy of his, his end. And I look forward to the day when I can understand that. But God, we know uh, that you love us and that you sent your son for us. And it is your desire that no one would be outside of your kingdom of, of the knowledge of relationship with you. So pray for that. Um, God, as we come forward in just a moment, Lord, we remember that uh, last meal that John writes about so eloquently where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, where he actually took off their sandals and washed their feet and totally humbled himself in the most, uh, uh, in a, such a significant way. Lord, and then went, not only, uh, not only doing that, went and died for them and died for us. And, and God, so we just, we want to uh, meditate on that, think about that for a few moments as we take these elements, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So whenever you're ready to come forward, uh, do, and we'll just hold on to the elements until everyone's seated again.